had some preparation, but a lot of it was learning as I went, you know, kind of like riding a bike your first time. <laughs> it looks fun. You know, you know, you see your buddies doing it and you feel like you can do it, but you know, you're going to skin your knee a few times. And, you know, hopefully some of the things we talked about today will, will prevent a few or less skin burns. <laughs> Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. Two weeks, $1 million raised. Our guest today did exactly that. But first, you know the drill. G'day, g'day, guys, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, the number one podcast geared towards helping international investors break into the U.S. market and start buying cash-flowing deals. From Los Angeles, I'm Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, on this show, you know we only talk to successful real estate entrepreneurs who are absolutely killing it in their businesses, and I've interviewed some incredible people, and today is no different. So let's get cracking and into today's show. Today, the entrepreneur in the hot seat is David Thompson. G'day, David. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Reed, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I hope your uh, your end of the week is off to a cracker and you're, uh, you're gearing up for an awesome weekend. Sounds good. The weather this time of year is starting to change, 70 degrees. It's perfect. So we'll get a lot of outside time this weekend. <laughs> nice stuff. Nice stuff. So guys, to give you a little bit of context and background, uh, David and I were actually involved in the same deal, a 320-unit deal in Dallas, Texas. And David's story is pretty remarkable. But before we dive into the nuts and bolts of his ability to raise a million bucks in two weeks, he has a pretty interesting background. He lives in Austin, Texas. He is married and has two daughters. Dave worked, or used to work, I should say, in high-tech management positions at AT&T and Dell. Um, but he soon realized the calling for real estate investing, and he's been investing in single-family residents and, and small multifamily rentals since 2012. Last year, Dave successfully exited the corporate world in 2015. He hired a multifamily investment coach and now has completed two two $1 million capital raises to support the purchase of over 600 units worth over 50 million bucks. Mate, pretty bloody incredible stuff. What are you, zero to hero, right? <laughs> <laughs> Reed, thanks a lot. I appreciate the accolades. Um, you know, I had, uh, I got into this thinking, uh, you know, I'm going to learn and as much as I can. And, you know, I had hired a coach to do that. But, you know, mostly focused on learning how to do multifamilies myself. I didn't envision at the time that uh, an opportunity would open up to, to support him on some some deals, and uh, you know that just really opened up everything. And uh, it, it kind of in four or five months, you know, it's it's been kind of a whirlwind. But uh, um, I'd love to talk to you know talk to you and, and your listeners about some of the things I learned along the way, and uh, you know hopefully help them in their career and what they're trying to do. Yeah, well, that's the whole point of today's show. For all those listeners out there, Dave actually wrote a really, what I thought was a cracking little article on Bigger Pockets, uh, the, the top 10 ways that you raised a million dollars in two weeks. And you sort of walked everyone through the lessons learned. I've chosen five of those ways uh, that I think are really influential and I've noticed in my career and I noticed in other people's career. But I just want to briefly touch on before we dive into the top five ways uh, or lessons learned raising a million dollars in two weeks. Can you give us a little bit more about your background? Because 
you know, obviously you're in the corporate world. You've been there for, for many years. What what ignited the fire or the passion inside the belly to just get get out of the day job? What, what happened? How was how did that come about? Yeah, great question, Reed. So uh, about 2012, and uh, you know, we're emerging from the financial crisis, and I had a friend of the family that uh, was uh, active in real estate. Uh, she was uh, she had a portfolio of maybe 20 single family homes herself. She was a realtor, you know, investor friendly realtor. Um, and she had prodded us over the years to get involved, and uh, I was a little bit hesitant. I, you know, growing up, you're around family or friends, you'd hear horror stories about property management and such, and uh, kind of shied away from it, I guess, uh, for the most part. But, you know, finally around 2012, I, I kind of got it. Seemed like values are pretty reasonable. Uh, I started reading a bunch of books, uh, joined some uh, real estate investment uh, social sites like Bigger Pockets, and I just tried to educate myself. And at the same time, she was saying, hey, let's go do some opportunities with some short sales and things like that. So anyway, after about five years, uh, you know, going back, to looking at it now, we, we got about five or six single family rental properties, single family homes. And, uh, you know, we started to get some appreciation here in Austin. And I started looking for cash flow. And that kind of led to looking at small multifamily and uh, started looking at that. And, then, you know, kept, kept reading and reading. But it seemed like the game to play for me, the exciting game to play was, was large apartments. I just had to figure out how to get there. Um, I left my, my job uh, with Dell in, in uh, 2015. My wife and I just said, hey, I saw an opportunity and I saw a way to go, but I needed more time to focus on it. I hired a coach uh, December of last year. So, you know, we're sitting in here, it's only eight or nine months away, uh, before that. And I was like, well, um, what's this going to be about? So the coach was very instrumental. Uh, and accelerating my growth. And then what I didn't think at the time was actually providing me some opportunities to actually practice what I was learning, <laughs> which was, you know, it's really the key uh, to key to do that. And then it's really been kind of a rocket ship sense uh, of learnings and uh, experiences that, uh, you know, we can get into some of the top things that I learned about that. Yeah, well, I want to, I want to just first off, start by saying, well, awesome stuff by leaving, leaving the, the corporate world. And I take it, did you just, you know, get to the point of, you know, you might not have had it, all the cash flow coming in, or you might not have had all your ducks in a row, but you said, look, I need to focus on it. So I need to go this full time. Otherwise we're never going to take off. Right. Yeah, that was the key. Um, I had, uh, my wife works, she's a teacher. We're not, you know, hitting a home run on it, but she's making some income. I had some income coming from rental properties. And I, you know, about 10 years ago, I invested in some restaurants and, and, and bars in Phoenix that were, uh, supporting me a bit. Um, and I just felt if I was ever going to do it, you know, I had a daughter going to college. I had a daughter getting ready to go to high school. They're pretty independent. The family situation uh, seemed like if I ever was going to do this and really jump, I was going to do it. And, you know, uh, you talk to most people in the corporate world after several years of doing that, uh, you know, you just kind of feel like this is time for, for new growth, <laughs> time for some for new opportunities, see what I can do, more of an entrepreneurial type. And um, it, it just it's just worked out awesome. Well, that's kudos to you, man, because it takes a uh... – it takes a certain type of person to say, well, I've got two daughters going to, to, to college and university. I've got a family to support and I'm going to give up my, my corporate corporate life. So, um, you know, not a, not a small feat and nor would it be, you know, your mindset, trying to get that mindset right to say, let's let's just give this thing a crack. So um, let's, let's you know, without further ado, let's dive into these top five lessons sure. learned for, right, for raising $1 million in two weeks. And before we do it, I want to just say, was this a fluke or was this like more uh, methodical and you more thought out? Well, I mean, some of the things that we'll talk about here, I think that we had a list of 10 and, and several of them overlapped, so I'm glad we kind of condensed it to about five things. I think these are five like fundamental things to get 
right, or at least understand going in. I didn't have a really big plan other than I my, my preparation was – I didn't have a lot of coaching on it either. It was just, you know, I know I'm going to be handed a project. I know I'm going to be handed a good project. Uh, I know I've got a good team behind me. I just got to go talk about it naturally. You know, just talk about it naturally. Um, I don't know if, you know, this is accredited investors. So there's some hurdles there. We can't be talking to anybody. But, you know, really, and, and one, of the, one of the points here was just uh, I had some preparation, but a lot of it was learning as I went, you know, kind of like riding a bike your first time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it looks fun. You know, you know, you see your buddies doing it and you feel like you can do it. But, you know, you're going to skin your knee a few times. And, you know, hopefully some of the things we talked about today will, will prevent a few or less skin burns. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the first one you, you mentioned about, and I, I go on about this all, all the time, and it, it has a couple of connotations, and that is partnering with experts, or, or I guess you could say teaming up with people, creating a good team around you, right? You surrounded yourself with, you said early on briefly that you, you, you partnered with, with, with credible people. So talk a little bit more about that and how that helped you not sell the deal, but help you attract investors. Sure. I think it you know, prevents a lot of people from maybe going in this direction or at least going big early. I think a lot of people, um, you know, they think they have to buy a single family home then move to a duplex, fourplex and that kind of thing. And, and I just felt that I was seeing people much younger than me doing big things. <laughs> and I was like, you know, they, they couldn't have done that. that. That's a path, but that's not the path. And uh, I went, so I started, was curious about how that works. And um, and, and it really came down to if you, you know, if you're partnering with experts, you're really leveraging their credibility, whether it's uh, talking to investors about a deal uh, or, you know, uh, if you have to be if you're the person financing a deal and talking to banks, they're always going to be concerned about whether they talk to you directly about this or they're thinking about it. They're always going to be interested in your background. You know, well, I'm going to give you money. Uh, are you trustworthy? You know, what is your track record? And uh, I'm just here to say that if you're starting out new, there's ways to do it without you having that track record personally. Right. That makes sense. No, that does make yeah. a lot of sense. And so talk a little bit about what specific skills were you like, you, you've done a bit of, you know, real estate yourself. You've got a small, a few single mm -hmm. families, you've got some restaurants sure. in Phoenix. It's not as if you were just sure. a newbie. So how did you then take that next step right. to really ramp it up? Well, you know, I think uh, there's, there's several ways you can do it. I, uh, uh, you know, first of all, getting some experience, I don't think hurts. I mean, you don't have to go from no real estate knowledge to, you know, doing a 300 apartment uh, unit deal. <laughs> but but uh, you raised a good point. I was probably uh, learning some things uh, about general property management, how to deal with residents at your properties, uh, how, to, how to do some financing. And, you know, that practical experience, you, you can never say that doesn't help. Um, but I had no practical experience with large apartments, but I mean, you can take some of those skill sets. The second thing, um, you know, there is so much free information available. Um, you know, I mentioned bigger pockets. There's a lot of podcasts out there. Uh, your podcast, there's other folks doing podcasts about real estate investing. There's books, uh, you know, so, so certainly you could spend, if you're really focused uh, and intentional, I think within, you know, six months or a year, you could be very learned uh, on a topic and, uh, uh, and, but the, the final building block for me was, was hiring a coach that actually does it and is doing deals. Um, there's only so much you can read about and, and think about on your own. I also joined a multifamily group here in town that added uh, another dimension. Um, folks who are interested in apartments are doing some small apartments. So there was a variety of things, uh, read that, that uh, I put together and started thinking about. But, but uh, really, if I was going to do a deal, um, 
having all that and going to a, a bank or talking to investors, they, they probably knew that, you know, some of the folks knew me pretty well knew that I was you know, interested in investing in real estate. But I think that credibility factor was I got a coach and he's doing deals and hey, I can leverage his track record. We also leverage the track record of the property manager, right? And, and uh, I'll touch on that in a second here. I guess basically what I was thinking is, you know, when I joined, uh, when the coach uh, I had, uh, when I talked to him about helping him, he said, you know, great, here's what you can do. Go raise a million dollars. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I just had that stuck in my mind, like a million dollars. Like, you know, the way he said it to me was like, must be doable. You know, it must be doable. He didn't say start at 250 and see if you can do a million. Maybe that would be more intimidating. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, it was just like, go do this. And like I said, I didn't have a lot of experience. It was it was just like, get on the bike and roll down the hill. And then it looks fun. And I, I was fortunate to really uh, have a good project. And I'm fortunate, it's more important to have a good team behind me. That team had, you know, one of the partners had done about four or five apartments himself. Uh, the other partner had worked for a corporation just doing uh, this for about 10 years and had about 20 properties and experience. And so when people would ask me, and I'm talking to them, well, Dave, you know, what's your experience with this? Uh, and I anticipated that it was always going to be, you know, here's the deck, here's the bio on these guys. Uh, and then I always send, I also would send the property management deck. We had hired a property manager uh, that's very typical, you know, in these large apartment deals. And they had a significant uh, track record, a very demonstrable track record of you know, meeting or exceeding expectations. They had done about 12 deals themselves. So I would just like send both decks. I'd be like, here, here you go. <laughs> go read this. <laughs> go read that. And, uh, you know, if you have some questions, come back. And, you know, I would say a large percentage of the folks were very satisfied knowing that I was working with a team that was credible, had done deals before, um, and we can put that question to bed. Yep. Yeah, I think that's 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 key in leveraging those bios, leveraging the experience, and and just a bit of context. I think you you, you briefly were were touching or beating around the bush, but for everyone out there, full disclosure, our property manager on this particular deal, on other, on the previous deals as well, had put up his own. Well, he put his neck on the line for for the loan. Essentially, mm-hmm. that's that's right. And, and then he's also brought capital to the table, and he got he's the property manager. So it's like. It's like this when I was talking to investors. Is like, oh, who's your property manager? Oh, it's so and so. It's not a third party. It's actually someone who's invested in the deal, and they've got their skin on the line. Like they're invested, they're they're incentivized to make sure that the deal works. And I think for all those people out there who don't know the the the, the nuts and bolts of the, how the deal was put together, that was quite powerful. I thought in any capital raising, uh, along with the bios and the experience, I thought that was really really key. And one of the partners, Frank, you know, kudos to him for for making that relationship because it definitely was smart business. But we won't dive into that. Wait, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a very good point. I don't have that on my top ten. It would be another point in there. Is just essentially you uh, you're always going to get asked that. I, I got that asked a lot. You know, Dave, what are you putting into the deal? Uh, what are your partners putting into the deal? And you know, we always said, you know, that's our policy. That's kind of our our modus operandi is is to put money in the deal so we are aligning with investors and um, it's powerful, right? It's powerful. It they they want to see that. And and it's also uh, powerful. Um, from from a point of view, to explaining to them, well, you might be bringing the equity, but we're bringing the debt. You know, this is this is what happens. This is how this thing works. You don't have to worry about financing. You're, you're never going to be any. You're not going to be liable for any financial commitments or debt. That's that's completely off the table. And when people understand that, they're like, oh, okay, interesting. Okay, so I'm not. I don't have to get any financing on this. I'm not putting. I don't have to get credit checks or blah blah blah. Like that's <laughs> that's, right. that's huge, right? So I don't know if that played into yeah. any of your capital raising um, abilities. Did it? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, people want to know they're limited. It's a limited uh, partnership. And, you know, that what that means their their investment 
capital is at risk, but uh, nothing else. We can't come after them. If there's a lawsuit or something like that, uh, you know, they're going to be okay. The bank's not coming after them and all their assets. And that's a huge piece for them, peace of mind. They're already putting capital up. So, you know, that's a risk that they already are willing to take once you explain the project and what's going on. The other thing is I always tell these people it's a, it's a performing asset. All right. Um, I'm in the bar and restaurant business, and I know that, you know, we can invest a million dollars in a restaurant. Partners can, and we can sell it. Uh, if it's not making any money, uh, we can sell that thing for maybe $100,000. Yeah. <laughs> we can maybe sell some of the equipment, and that's about it. And, and it's a really risky game. But with apartments, you know, you're, you're, you're already buying an asset that's making money. We're just right. going to take it, shine it up a little bit, put some better efficient management in, and we're going to make it more money. <laughs> exactly. And that's, and, that's, and that's comparatively low risk to other investments out there, right? Like flipping right. a house or right. doing ground up construction. Um, and, right. and, and what I always like to say on this show is that having that ability to, to control cash flow, you're controlling your investment because you're controlling mm-hmm. how, the value of it. If you increase the cash flow, you increase the value of the property. It's a pretty simple, uh, you know, it's a no brainer. Like, yeah. so it's, it's just educating those people on that. So talk to me a little bit about point number two, that, that, that you've got to have a great project and you know, the great project is, is key. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, like I said, I, although, you know, raising a million dollars seems like a big number, I felt that I really had uh, a great team behind me giving me a project that was, uh, you know, based on my studies, a very nice project. And uh, we, we look at it three different ways. You know, uh, the market, are we in a good market? Uh, do we see population and jobs coming in above the national average? Um, you can look at 15 data points, uh, but, you know, to keep it simple with investors. Uh, and people get supply and demand. Most people had an economy, economics class somewhere along their life or just get supply and demand. If I got a lot of people coming in, I don't have space for them, rents are probably going to go up. And certainly it's a great project from our standpoint when we're in great markets, great sub-markets, uh, even within that city. Uh, you know, we're, this this particular project – uh, was in a top, there's 28 submarkets in Dallas, for instance. This was in the number one uh, rent growth and uh, demand area uh, of Dallas. And so, you know, we can't guarantee everything, but all you can do is put yourself in the best position to win, Reed, right? So it starts with the market. Let's get, let's find deals in great markets. Let's let the, let's ride the tailwind of that. The second thing is a great deal. Now we're buying these, uh, these apartments relatively uh, undervalued compared to comparables uh, you know, rent to rent per unit, um, which you can get. We're, we're, we're buying them uh, cost per unit uh, uh, lower than what's comparables around you. So kind of starting with a good deal there. And then you're looking at, you know, what can I do to this apartment? Uh, do we have a clear strategy uh, of taking an undervalued asset and adding value to it? Um, you know, what kind of renovations can we do cost effectively? What are the rents going to be that we're seeing in the marketplace? Um, you know, what type of creative uh, ideas like uh, adding carports and things that previously weren't there? You, know, you can add some different rent values. So um, it's, you look at the project itself, and is it conservatively underwritten, too? That's the third point about the great project is, you know, we've got, a, we've got an undervalued asset. We can see a clear path of improving it. Um, and are, are the numbers conservative? Because the numbers read, you know, when you look at these deals, they're already compelling. I mean, they're you know, you're at 10% cash on cash return. Uh, you can show investors you put, you know, 100,000 in. You should expect to get, you know, close to 10,000 a year back in quarterly payments, and they're excited about getting some money every quarter. 
and then and then there's no reason to overshoot and and I, we like that because you and I are in the game of raising capital and we certainly want to under promise and over deliver <laughs> every exactly, time. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's 100%. <laughs> uh, yes. That's exactly right. So I, I got with these guys. I'm looking at the numbers. I'm looking at their assumptions. I'm like, gosh, they're, even after we do all this stuff, we're still going to be under market with the rents. We're, you know, we're just positioning this thing very well. And the last thing was the, was the team. So you've got, you know, we've got a property management team we talked about. It's got a lot of experience in doing just this thing. They just do BC turnaround repositions. They don't do all sorts of things. They just do this. And they've done a very good job uh, track record-wise there. So it's really market deal team. Uh, it's compelling and you feel good about it, it's going to be easy to talk about. Right, right. No, I, I 100% agree with all of that. And, and it, particularly what you said about understanding the, the assumptions and the conservative assumptions. Now, just quickly touch on, did you understand when you saw the underwriting, you know, I, I know the underwriting for this particular deal because I, I, I knew it like the back of my hand, but was that a little bit overwhelming? Did you have a background in, in Excel and understanding where the, the assumptions come from? Because that can sometimes be hard to explain to investors. If you don't understand it as a capital raiser, how would you explain it to the investors, right? Yeah, and it's a good it's a good point you, you asked there because um, you can get overwhelmed with information and you know uh, I know when I started sending out ticklers to people and emails about this deal I I tend to be a little bit more verbose and a little bit more descriptive and uh, you know I probably overdid it I probably overcommunicated stuff and I didn't want to I realized I realized you can overwhelm people personally on, on a level of coaching now I got coached on all this stuff and. I knew, uh, you know, basic underwriting, uh, and I've done. I've looked at a bunch of different deals, so I felt comfortable on, you know, for the for the, typically the average investor or at least some experienced investors handling most of those questions. Um, and I kind of focused on the main ones. I mean, there's an assumption list, you know, 15 points long. I would look at two or three of those assumptions and say, you know, what do we, you know, especially around like occupancy. You know, and and rents. You know, those are those are big driving factors. You know, if we're if the market data from a third party resource says, you know, the submarket there in Dallas should be uh, the next three, you know, two to three years should be at 97% occupancy. And we're saying we're at 94%. Uh, well, I think that's a good conservative number. If we put 97, we'll show a bunch better numbers. But, you know, so I would know those basic ones. Yeah, I know those basic ones very well and kind of why we, we thought about that. And, and that's what I would really try to convey to investors. I didn't, I felt comfortable with the project at a level that you and I would need to know. But when I'm talking to investors about it, I didn't want to panic myself thinking about I need to know everything. If I didn't know something, most investors are okay with you coming back with an answer. Sure. Uh, and that's fine, especially if you're fast with that answer and it's, it's it makes sense to them. Yeah, no, and I think you, again, you raised some, some bloody good points and we, we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours. And But that is also, you briefly touched on not overwhelming investors. And I know that you and I spoke a little bit offline a couple of weeks back about just the, the art of, of, of raising capital and, you know, you can over bombard people with too much information and that's, and that can sometimes be scary because they don't want to, some investors just like, well, I don't need to know all this or, or, or some investors do, but to start off with just sort of giving a, a little bit and, and let the, let the deal sell itself, so to speak. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, we, we didn't really touch on this, but it's kind of woven through all this is, a lot of folks that you talk to, and, and these are accredited investors, so they've done well in life somehow. Most of them didn't win the lottery. They're probably hard workers. They're probably smart with their money, fairly conservative. Um, you know, it's basically still to them, they've never invested in an apartment before. I haven't had a lot of investors uh, have invested in apartments before. So um, 
my before I started getting the market deal team, that all makes sense. I would even start up, you know, even higher than that. I, I know here in the states, you know, and I, I bet you in Australia they have them too. The house flipping shows. Yes. Yep. Um, all this sort of stuff. Yeah, and those are very popular here. People love to see how houses are fixed up. And I basically would start there. So this is basically a big flip. You know, we're we're going to buy an asset that's undervalued. We're going to fix it up, and we're going to sell it in like three to five years. And the only, you know, there's some different nuances. Of course, we're, we've got renters in there. We've got people in there, <laughs> two or 300 families in, in, these, in these apartments. So it's more complex. It's more, uh, you know, it's a, it's a more sophisticated project. But I wanted to make sure they understood from a simple nature, this is what we're doing. Um, we're, we're not doing anything that's that's really, I mean, from a standpoint, it's really technologically hard. It's not something that, you know, we're hoping will happen. I can clearly show you that the apartment makes money today. I can clearly show you that. I can clearly show you a very simple business plan. It's going to we're going to execute four or five points, three or two or three points, that are going to get these uh, this place you know either rented at a higher occupancy and or uh, higher rents because you know people are going to be proud to live there when we're done with it. No, I think I think that's 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 so key, and it's not rocket science, right? Like, well, to us right. who we know that we know the nuts and bolts of it, to mm-hmm. someone who's coming into the deal and not understanding, it, there can be some apprehension, right? And you know, it's that's yeah. like anyone. So it's our roles as syndicators and people out there who are listening and thinking, you know, I want to start raising some capital. I've got a great deal. It's about putting all the facts up, and just at the end of the day, it, it isn't it isn't rocket science. A lot of people do do this in, in apartment uh, flipping and syndications and all that sort of stuff, and they yeah. make a lot of money. And it's not. It's you know you can you can overanalyze it. These are this is the, this is what's happening. You've supported it by backed it up by submarket data by a third party. Let's give let's give it a go. You know what I mean? Like it's not it shouldn't be any more than that uh, at, at the end of the day. Um, I want to dive right. I want to dive into your third point, which was the contact list is established in advance. What what does that mean when you when you mean the the contact list? Yeah, I probably should have just mentioned this as a general preparation rule and. Uh, you know, when someone's starting out raising capital, um, you know, I think they're thinking about the deal or people are going to like the deal or uh, you know, the markets and all that kind of stuff, of course. But, um, you know, before you start raising capital, you ought to think, and this is, especially if it's your first time, right? Um, and this just seems very obvious, but you're under pressure uh, as a capital raiser. You're under a time limit. Um, when Joe, my coach, says, hey, you know, you got $1 million and we're going to need to get this kind of raised in four weeks, five weeks, maybe. You know, there's a time limit. There's a couple of things going on I think that <clears throat> really helped me is, one, creating a list in advance of all the people that I know um, that might be accredited and might be interested in this, right? So uh, a simple spreadsheet, just name, if you can get their you know, email, if you can get their phone number, fine, not necessary. Most of my correspondence is email. Eventually, I'll talk to them, but most of my initial correspondence is email. Uh, and then I also added a fourth column, which helped me later analyze how I did on this project and future projects. Where are these people coming from? Very simple. Are these people coming from my friend, family, social network? Are they coming from uh, maybe uh, you know real estate uh, online social forums like Bigger Pockets? Are they are they coming from my multifamily meetup groups here in Austin? You know, where am I kind of getting these people? I kind of lumped them into four or five groups. So, you know, kind of going in and helped me at the end, but certainly having a list. And I ended up having, I think, about 150 folks. And, you know, most of the people didn't respond. I mean, I would say most people, a lot of people don't respond and don't take it personally. It's just they're busy. And you send them a couple of things and they're like, let's see, Dave guy, he used to work for Dell. Okay, what's, what's he sending me stuff on? <laughs> you know? So, He's so a Dell guy. Thing, like, what kind of experience this guy got? You know, he's sending me stuff. But I think most people are just very busy. They get hundreds of emails each week. And, uh, you know, don't get put out if if, uh, if a friend or an acquaintance didn't get back. Or you might want to follow up. Uh, 
you know, uh, a week or two later, just made sure they got it because some people, you know, emails go to spam or something like that. But, um, you know, I, I think just preparing a nice list, because once the gun sounds to raise capital, you don't want to be starting to think about who am I going to talk to. You want to have a nice list of names that you can send a, a tickler out to. And take, our tickler would be like a three-minute video on the property that, you know, take a drone and took some pictures and, you know, and, and, and typically our, our lead partner would put that together for us. And you could just simply send that out and say, is this something interesting to you? Uh, and if it is, you can send a deal deck and a few more points uh, about it and then set up some coffee meetup or a lunch meetup. And that's kind of how a typical flow would go. But, you know, hadn't I had a list in advance and thought about that, uh, it would have been even more stressful. You know, I, I just had to have a list to get going. The second part of that read is, you know, before you start a capital raise, it's a pretty intense experience, right? You know, you, you really want to make sure your, your life is in good shape. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you just want to make sure you have a good family support or people around you, family, friends know that, hey, you might not be at that happy hour like you normally go to, or you might, you know, your, your kids are going to have to realize that, you know, okay, there are certain things. We may put off some vacations for another couple of weeks. We may have to do something different because, uh, you know, dad's got to go uh, focus on this. And, it was a real, you know, the two million dollars in two weeks. I was busting my tail, and um, I was enjoying it. I was having fun, but I was like, you know, if I had other distractions going on, I wasn't prepared for this. Uh, it would have been a much difficult road, much more yep. difficult yep. road. And tell me, out of the hundred and fifty, how many people did you contact? Like, was it a numbers game, and and did it come down to a small handful of people that was able to contribute to the million bucks in two weeks? And and I, I take it your list came first, and then Joe sounded the gun, and then you went, and that two weeks happened, or was Correct. how was how was that yeah. sort of laid out? Yeah, yeah, that was the, that was right. I, I was I was informed that you know, hey, we're gonna do we got a deal we're working on. And, uh, you know, you're going to raise capital. We agreed to that. I, that was something I actually asked him if I could help him, you know, and, and it was just something that clicked and he said, let's do it. And, and uh, so, so I had some weeks kind of going in before the bell sounded. I had been to Dallas. I actually met, uh, met him there. We toured the property and I got a good feel for anticipating questions investors might have. Um, I really, uh, I had that advantage <clears throat> read of, you know, it was three hours away, but I still had the advantage of seeing the property you know, meeting the current property manager and kind of looking at uh, also meeting the new property manager, kind of seeing how all this will work out, look at the demographics we toured around the town. So, you know, part of my preparation, that was all done before, uh, and I had this list, and it was all done before the gun sounded to say, okay, here's a, you know, got to raise this money in four or five weeks. So that's kind of how that, that came down. I had some preparation. I knew the deal pretty well. I mean, that was another thing. I know investors are going to ask me questions. But you need to be prepared and research. That was part of this preparation. It wasn't just get my list together. I really went through the deck several times. I really anticipated what questions investors might have. How am I going to talk about it? Um, and just be prepared when, when that gun sounds, you're ready to go, that you, know, you don't have to think about that kind of stuff. You want to be totally focused on meeting people. Um, of the 150 people, you know, like I said, a, a large part of those I didn't get responses from. But I ended up having 13 investors to do $1 million. Nice. Uh, so I averaged about... 75 grand, maybe 60 to 70 grand on each, each person. Most people did 50. That was our minimum. Had a mm -hmm. few big, big players uh, that put in 150, 200. So, you know, you can, when I look at the pie chart after that, you know, I had clearly three segments. Uh, if I did it by value, not by quantity, if I did it by those 13 investors and value wise, I had clearly th three strong areas that uh, was really good feedback for me to say, this is the areas I want to continue to grow. Right. You know, this is where it's happening. And I had some surprises. I had some surprises around 
like the multi-family meetup group, I certainly thought that would be a, a really good group to, to but it wasn't. It was mm. a different group. It was more of a active group, a group that really wanted to do their own deals or there's a lot of third-party suppliers that go to those meetings, you know. It just wasn't or a lot of those folks weren't accredited. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yep, yep. You know, that's a big hurdle, right? T- you can, a lot kickers. of people are interested. In, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're not accredited. And that's the, that's probably one of the biggest hurdles when you're preparing is just trying to anticipate in advance who you think are. And before you get too far down the road with them, make sure you're talking to them and get that answered quickly that, you know, here in the States, we have to, for our particular deals and what we're doing, the, the, the investor has to have a certain net worth or, or income level to be able to do these kind of deals that the SECs are you know, kind of looks at it as an alternative investment, a little bit right. riskier investment, but right, you and right, I know, right. know better, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So okay. out of that pie chart, you said that you've got some from your local RIA or your meetup group, or you thought you were going to get some yeah. uh, bigger pockets. Was there existing like employees or colleagues from, from your Dell days? Like where did they all sort of start trickling down from? And, and they were, I take it they were personal friends, correct? Yeah. So, you know, surprisingly, I found this is, I don't know if you've experienced this or other capital raiser experiences. And probably so, I don't know if you network marketing when I was growing up. I remember I got involved in that a little bit. And it was like the people that was like closest to me didn't want to play. <laughs> it's like, but it's that one person they know that do, uh, and I, maybe it's a degree of separation. The people know you best, uh, especially with me coming out of Dell, were like, okay, Dave's you know, he, he's coming from a corporate world. What's he know about apartments? Mm-hmm. I'm sure that they were kind of thinking that. What's he doing? Is this kind of just a short-term thing? So it was Is like – this a it fad? Was, well, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Let's help him out. Um, <laughs> basically, it was funny because my, my wife, uh, she uh, – you know, she's got a business mentality, but she's just natural about networking. She's Chinese, uh, first of all, and I think they have this thing called guanxi, which is they're just natural. They stay connected to people longer than – uh, the typical American growing up here in the U.S., <laughs> they're just really well-connected. They stay connected. It's part of their culture and upbringing. And so it's very natural for her to say, hey, I know so-and-so. They might be interested. And she was a teacher, so we got some folks uh, that might have been interested that way or, or somebody you know, through high tech that I knew. A lot of things through our kids' sports, kind of interesting, right? So you meet a lot of parents through your kids. Uh, so if you're married and you have kids, that's a great advantage. You, you're, you're going to sport events. You're going to – art events, whatever you're doing, you're rubbing elbows with their their parents, the kids' parents. And um, so it wasn't like close relationships. So we'd know them enough. We'd see them enough times that I felt comfortable reaching out to them. But, you know, my three groups, by and large, my uh, my wife and her, her Asian connections with folks here. Now, I look at that as an interesting thing. Uh, and that's not stereotypical, but it, our, my experience with it is, is that typically the Chinese are very good savers. Uh, and secondly, uh, growing up, they didn't have a lot of trust in their financial markets. Uh, they're not mature, right? They're not mature financial markets. So people would like real estate. And China's done really well with real estate. If you invested in Chinese real estate in the last 15 years or so, you know, they've made really good money. Um, and I think also they want to diversify. So they like having assets here in the States and a stable economy. So so that's a natural thing for me. And I, we got, uh, you know, the second deal we did, I looked at it. I think I have the most investors come from that group. Interesting. That's very interesting because the fact is this podcast is all about international investors buying U.S. real estate, and uh, the majority yeah. of your capital raise came from your wife's, you know, friends and family and and, and colleagues. So, yeah. was was there foreign money involved in that in that raise? Like, did people from back in China bring capital over? I had a, a little bit of that. Uh, most of these folks uh, have been living in the states or living here in, in Austin. Um, you know, Chinese families, and they've you know, they're local business folks here and. And that kind of thing. But I had a few that, you know, wife's here, kids here in school, dad's uh, father's over in uh, 
her husband's over in China with a factory uh, company, and he's looking to uh, you know diversify his holdings and, and, and invest here. So I had a little bit of that. Um, but uh, I'll tell you another little trick that <laughs> it wasn't something that I preconceived. Uh, it just happened is when I brought my – most of the time I bring my wife to those meetings. So we have a connection. My wife says, hey, this so-and-so wants to meet us next weekend or whatever. We'll go usually typically go to their house or close by or something. I think sometimes we'd come to my house. And we just sit down and uh, usually have both the, 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 the couple there, my wife there. And, and I, I would say, and, and I, again, I'm not coming from a sales background, like, you know, here's my close rate. But I, I felt like my close rate was 90, 95%. When I had a couple in front of me and I had my wife with me, it was almost like a no-brainer. It was like, okay, just walk through this naturally. There's a trust there. You know, the trust there um, I think is a big deal a big part of it, but certainly most of those folks seem to actually have ready capital. Most of them were seem to be accredited, and that was a really uh, nice area for me. So uh, I guess to your listeners, when you start thinking about your list and start thinking about natural connections that, you know, folks that, you know, probably have money or at least are in a position to do so, look for those little niches that you might not have thought about. I certainly didn't think going into this that would have been my strongest uh, market, but now when I look back, I'm like, I understand why it is. And I'm going to spend a lot more time, you know, trying to get in front of more folks, you know, through referrals over time as these projects pan out. Right? No, I think I think that is key, and I think it also you, you haven't touched on it specifically, but that you had trust, they had trust in you, they invested in you, Dave Thompson, because they like you. Yeah. They you've shown the credibility. Yeah, you've got the team, you've got the track record, and and the deal's great. But that's all the bells and whistles, right? They're they're they're, they're instilling trust in you and you as the capital raiser, and that's very very important for those people out there listening. Your first capital that you raise will be because people like you or want to invest in you. They like your story. They like what you're doing and everything else can nearly take a bit of a back seat. There's, there's going to be questions there, but it's going to, it's going to sit in the back a little bit because they want to look at you, look at you in the eye, touch and feel you, go to your house, have coffee, understand yeah. that you're genuine, not like this sort of, you know, shark that's going to run away with their money or anything like that. So <laughs> that's exactly right. I think being in the community probably helps. Like, okay, Dave's not going to, you know, where's he going to go if this doesn't go? <laughs> this I'm coming. To, I'm know? coming to his house. I know where he lives. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I put myself in a line, right? That's probably a good technique, but I didn't think about it. Uh, well, let me touch on one more real quick. Cause I know we're going to start actually, actually moving into relationships a bit on this, but um, the other thing that I thought, you know, just to people who, you know, maybe be, uh, you know, not well connected uh, or, you know, living remotely or, or, you know, trying to do, you know, get investors from another locale. Um, I want to touch on this point because I think I don't want people to be discouraged that, okay, if we don't have that natural niche like Dave had there, you know, this is going to be much harder. Well, it, it was an advantage, but it doesn't mean you can't do it. And I'll give you a point. So bigger pockets, let me touch on that uh, briefly. So bigger pockets for your listeners that don't know is a, you know, a social, social network of real estate investors that like to, you know, kind of do it yourself bunch, right, Reed? Exactly. You know, trying to learn from each yep. other. And uh, I can't post the deals on bigger pockets, right? That's a no-no because of our the way we're set up legally here. Uh, I can only be talking to accredited investors, so I have no idea. But I can go on there and I can go into specific apartment forums and I can share my expertise on questions that come up based on my experiences. Now, again, I don't have huge experiences, but you know, for a lot of people who've never even thought about doing a 100-plus unit apartment, I have experiences, and I can share them, and I can I can post articles. I can write articles like things I learned, you know, 10 things I learned and raising a million dollars. People get to know me then as a syndication guy. Dave knows syndication, um, and uh, so so I would, I would subtly uh, engage people online 
who never saw me, don't know me. Um, now, over time, you know, on Bigger Pockets, they have, you know, how many times has the guy posted? Has he's got some votes? So that's that's growing, and my credibility will grow. But you know, I get people. I'm on Bigger Pockets every day, and I'm on there, and I'm looking at. Uh, you can set up alerts, and you can kind of get into different discussions, and um, you know, you can subtly explain people that you know you do this or here i had experience with a 320 unit apartment and here's what kind of i learned and then i'll get i'll get people sending me emails directly saying hey i'd like to learn more what are you doing in dallas uh, i live in dallas or i live in texas or hey i'm in california real estate's high expensive here i can't find cash flow it seems like you guys are doing something tell me about what you do and i don't mind sending past deals to them you know i, I have no problem sending them a past deal and say here's what i do if you like it let's have a phone call and uh, you know, even if I got one or two out of 10 people I did that with, um, it's easy. It's an easy form of, of getting people uh, involved and in understanding what you're doing and, and trying to grow that investor list. And I just mentioned that because they've never seen me. They don't really know me, but I try to have some dialogues with them, some phone calls to get to know me, find out different ways that you can build credibility with them. You can be as creative as uh, I did another interview read on this topic with another podcast or something like that. And I just sent him that. It talks about my background, gives them a little bit of history on, you know, how I got involved. And uh, it, it shows enough there that Dave knows about apartment investing and has certainly he's with an experienced group and I like to learn more. What, what else are you doing? You know, relationships are key, but it, you can start relationships from cold and get a relationship going pretty fast. If you're, if you're authentic you're leveraging a track record and credibility, and, and you know you're saying things on these sites that are sensible. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> like you know that's what you're talking about. That's correct. That's that's right. And and what you've touched on there, and I think um, the underlying theme I talk a lot about on this show is personal brand. People are going to bigger pockets looking for real estate, looking for apartments, looking for single families. If they can see yeah. that you're constantly posting, you're out in the in, in, in upfront. You're the, they're the first one they see. They read your articles. They like what you're saying. Well, that half the work's already done because they're they're actively looking for deals or or, or advice, and they're going to reach out to you, and you are presenting to them a, a sort of a personal brand. Like, hey, I'm Dave Thompson. I know about apartments and this is kind of the stuff I've learned and people value that per, that that, that uh, content and they're going to reach out and say, hey, let's grab a coffee or let's have a phone call because you know I'm interested right. in, what, in what you have to say and, and they value what you have to say. So, so for all those listeners out there, don't be afraid of, of posting stuff on bigger pockets. I know personally right. as well that I have got a few investors that way. Um, it's 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 one thing to say that, and then another thing to actually consistently do it, <laughs> right? You know, David, you got to be doing it all the time. But I try and post once a month. Um, I was trying to do it once once a week, but it was too hard. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> well, that's great. But uh, you know, once you start seeing it, I guess is uh, you know, I, I had four of the thirteen were bigger podcasters. On the second deal, uh, I had let's see, I'm up to twenty investors after two deals, so you know, I had five returning investors, but. Um, you know, that, that number for bigger pockets now of 27 is up to, I believe 10, 10 of my 27 investors are bigger pockets. Now it's not the most value contributed. Uh, again, it's a trust factor. I think a little bit there that they're more than happy to do the minimums. Most of those folks, I've got a few that did some bigger, but, uh, the people that know you more will probably be your biggest opportunity. Uh, and they will probably do a little bit more per person right? because they're a little bit more trustworthy of you. But 
Yeah, I think those are good points to just, you know, don't be as shy and, and, and you can build relationships from a variety of standpoints. Right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Talk to me about your last, you know, the, the fifth topic, which was overraising by 20 to 30%. I think this is very, very key to everyone out there understanding what overraise means. So, so talk a little bit about that. Yeah, when Joe Joe mentioned that to me before we even started, and I was like, "Man, a million dollars is tough enough, but now it's, I got to do one point two, one point three." I'm like, "Geez, you're a nice guy," uh, <clears throat> but he says, "Dave, you know, life happens between the first person and when this gun sounds, and you have four or five weeks." Uh, I may talk to someone on day one of that uh, of that uh, timeline, um, and keep in mind there's other parallel activities going on while we're raising capital, right? So. You know, there's a whole due diligence on the property. Do we even want to buy this thing? We got a great plan, but we still need to go look under every rock and make sure that everything looks uh, sound for us. Uh, and so that t- that can take 45, 60 days. So <clears throat> we're creating also this private placement memorandum, uh, a legal document that invariably takes. It seems to always come out later than you want. And uh, you know, so you got these people waiting, right? These, these early people are waiting. And I couldn't believe, Reed, <clears throat> now, again, these 13 investors were what stuck, but I, let's say you're talking to, you know, 20, 25, you know, really good prospects, um, and they give you some verbal, you know, people give you some verbal commitments uh, to lock in, because I only need to raise a million, so I'm getting verbal commitments along the way. Eventually, this PPM will come out. They can read that. Once they read it and agree to all the terms and sign it, then I feel pretty good. 100% of the time, we're going to get the money from them next week, so that's kind of the three-step process, but this this window of time uh, kind of eats at you a little bit because the first day or two, someone says, I, I can do 50000 okay, and you slot them in, you kind of reserve that spot for them, uh, and then you're kind of touching them, you know, keep, kind of keep them warm, and then, you know, two weeks later, you will send an article on why Dallas looks like a great market or something, just kind of keeping them warm, but, you know, they made the right decision, uh, and, and I think there's a, there's a lag time that works uh, in, against us. There's a lag time between the time someone says yes and the time they actually get the PPM sign it that there's a little bit of risk there that not so much they change their mind. It, it, you'd be surprised. Most of the people didn't change their mind about the deal, still love the deal, want to do it. Life experiences or events happen to them that were unforeseen. Uh, sometimes they're black swans. I had people, you know, a sister passed away unexpectedly, just, you know, some tragic stuff. I had a guy that, you know, hey, my job, I I'll just found out that, you know, we might be merged. I don't know about my job. And, you know, so that uh, just expect the unexpected from about maybe 20 to 30 percent of your folks. Um, I did a, a lot better on the second deal. But the first deal I got up, I had to get up to one point seven million. And the reason I did, because the first person I met with, uh, uh, you know, again, a person that, that we kind of network and socialize with kind of knew me. We sat down, uh, had a coffee. I went through the deal deck with him, and he was like, Dave, I, I got to do this. Um, 500000 <laughs> Wow. wow. And, I, and then he goes, hey, he was so excited. He goes, you know, my brother, is, uh, he's, he's in the apartment business, and I've got a, his, a friend of mine that's got money and, and, you know, looking for something like this. So, you know, I'm doing fist pumps coming out of the meeting and I'm, I'm calling Joe, I'm calling Joe, my coach. And I'm thinking, you know, this million dollars, you know, maybe if we, I should do two. No, I didn't say that, but I'm like, this is going to be pretty easy. You know, I, I really think that, you know, <clears throat> well, the next morning I'm having a coffee with another investor. I excuse myself, get a call. And, uh, it's this guy on the phone. He says, uh, he said, Dave, you know, uh, he, his long story short, he was like his brother had an apartment community and 
you know, it, it wasn't doing well. But it was in New Orleans, you know, but, you know, it was just something that wasn't doing well. And he was having all sorts of problems with it. He can't sell it. And he gave us all his horror stories. And just it just shocked him to a point where he said, I can't do it. But he didn't tell me exactly he couldn't do it. He just said, if you can find 500000 to replace me. <clears throat> and I'm like, oh, gosh, okay. So I got up to 1.7 thinking that, you know, I'm still going to get that 500000 It's just, you know, Joe told me, hey, just relax. Sometimes it happens. Give me two or three days. And so I did. I called him back. He seemed a little more relaxed. I'm thinking he's still going to do this. And, at the, you know, two weeks before we closed, I, I went back to him for another coffee catch-up. And he said, you know, I'm uh, just not going to do it at all. And I was like, just, I was disappointed. But in the back of my mind, I was like, I'm so glad I, I just expected that that money might go away. He was the highest risk one. Uh, so yeah, raise 23% more. And I would, I'm just asking the fact that if you take a big investor in, um, obviously you want to keep them really warm uh, before they get this PPN assignment. But um, I might even try a different tactic. I might even say, Hey, we'll take a hundred or 200 and I'll try to get the other 300 in. Uh, once I know I've gone through all my investors and there's a couple of reasons for that one, it builds a little bit more desire. I think on their part that, gosh, I can't even get all my money. And I want to do. Um, and, and number two, it won't shock you. You know, if you lose that person, you only really kind of, you only really kind of wanted that hundred, two hundred thousand. That three hundred thousand would have been nice, but you're only like counting on it. Two hundred thousand, you can still recover with a couple weeks to go. You can still recover. So that's kind of my experience with that. It's just, uh, you know, it's a good thing to do. You never know what that number is going to be, but just be prepared to raise a little bit more than you need, so there's no surprises and you can get the deal done. Yeah, I think that's 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 a, again you're full of incredible advice, mate. Because there's a couple of th- keys I want to hit on just there. That was over raising by twenty to thirty percent. That's that's really really key. But also then setting expectations for your investors to say, "Hey, I've got yeah. five hundred thousand dollars," and you're just saying, "Well, you know, sort of like the we don't really need all of your money." <laughs> you know what I mean? And it, it, as you said, it, it it creates some desire to 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 come in. But it also has uh, I've found with my capital raising, it's two sides of the coin, right? Like if someone comes to me, he's like, "Reed, I want to here's four hundred thousand bucks i'm like whoa 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 turbo you know like let's see if i can do business (laughs) let's see i can do business with you as much as you can do business with me you know it's a two-sided coin and 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 to say to them like i need to vet you as much as you need to vet me that there is very powerful i think because they're like okay he's that's fair that's fair you know this is a this is a relationship this is a partnership this is not me taking your money and doing what the hell i want with it this is you're investing in our deal and you want to make money so Uh let's see if we can work together so i think that's uh that's pretty awesome that's stuff. That's a great man. point, Reed. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, suitability, we didn't really talk about that. But, you know, certainly you're kind of putting the brakes on a little bit with someone. And you're you're not letting them, letting them kind of dictate what they want to do, um, you know, respect it. But, um, you know, by giving a little bit of caution uh, that, hey, let's just take a couple hundred thousand now. There's, there's, a, there's a really reason for we want to do that, too. I would prefer to get much – let's put it this way. If some investor came in with me as a million dollars, I would only have one investor. And I'm going to my next deal. I'm like, I'm starting from scratch. I have 13 investors out of that first deal. I know statistically wise, Joe and I have talked about it. He's done a few deals. I've done a couple now. About 25%, 20-25% can be repeat investors. People want to do it again. Okay, that's 25% I don't have to do. So there's kind of some strategic reasons a capital raiser. You don't want to have too many big guns in there unless you can really count on them because it's like, 
you know, I, I want to get more investors. I want to help more people. I want to get excited about this. They'll tell more people. I'll get more referrals, <laughs> which, uh, you know, is a great opportunity for us longer term as, as the more that we're into this. No, I, I completely agree with all of that stuff. Mate, I know you've uh, we've been coming up to nearly on an hour chatting with you. It's been absolutely yeah. incredible. I do want to end the show with just a couple of few questions that, you know, I always hit up uh, my, my investors when they come on the show. So you ready to dive into it? Yeah, let's do it. Mate, what's your daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Okay, so uh, briefly, um, and when I came out of those two deals now, I'm getting a little bit more intentional and serious about it because I know it's working and I'm excited about it, is, is I, I really went back and looked at where my investors are coming from. Uh, identify those two or three pockets, and I'm really big on a book called Strength Finders. Um, you know, for a long time, people said work on your weaknesses. You know your strengths, but work on your weaknesses. I, I really like Strength Finders. It basically says work on your strengths. Okay, so if my strengths is this uh, wife, my wife's Asian network connection, if my strength is bigger pockets uh, and maybe some of my Dell contacts where I came from, then how do I really maximize that? How do I really focus on those folks? Instead of the multifamily meetup group was my most disappointment. They were out of two deals. I've got one and a half people. <laughs> I say it's a half because he referred me. And I'm like, I can't believe that. I was going there every week. I was you know, meeting people. It's just I found that was the wrong area. Now, it doesn't mean I'll never get to go to my multifamily meetup group again. It just means if I skip some meetings or just have lower expectations, it's a different audience. Uh, but focus more on my time and tension. I may not go there for a month. I don't care. It's not, I'm not losing business. I'm focused on where I need to focus on. So I just look at every week, read, and I say, what am I doing in these three areas, these three groups? Um, am I meeting some more folks through my wife? Uh, I'm setting up uh, people who I've already been in the deal. I, I want to go back to them uh, and, 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 and find out, you know, can I have them a lunch with them, a dinner, just update them what's going on, uh, take them to lunch. Uh, Bigger Pockets people, like I said, I'm on it every day because I want to see that first person that just joins Bigger Pockets and says, you know, I'm looking for apartment deals. I'm new. I want to be passive. Is anybody, you know, how can I do that? Right, <laughs> Those are right, the people right, I'm looking right. for. <laughs> yeah. So you're out there hunting. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Who's the most influential person in your career today? Yeah. So my coach, uh, apartment multifamily coach, Joe Fairless, who I met last December. Uh, and, uh, you know, not only was the opportunity just to learn from him, which was great, but uh, the, the thing I didn't expect was actually practice with him and do things with him and learn and earn, uh, which has truly opened up a whole new avenue for me. So, uh, you know, coaching, um, you know, I think you know, if people are really serious about something, you know, go find an expert in it, go learn from them, and, and, and maybe you get an opportunity to also work with them. I think that's yeah. that's great. And, you know, you and I both use Joe, and Joe's been influential in my career. And I mean, he was on, he was, I think, my, one of my first ever podcasts. So, yeah, he's a great, oh, great, great, great bloke. And um, I hope I'm looking forward to doing some more deals with, with, with both of you, hopefully, as the, uh, as the future un- unravels. And mate, last question, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? You've been absolutely incredible today. You've provided us with some really awesome content. I know that there's going to be probably a few people wanting to reach out and say, hey, Dave, I'm in Austin. Let's go grab a beer or let's go have a coffee. Yeah, perfect. Uh, so it's, it's easy. It's david at thompsoninvesting.com. That's T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N investing.com. And I'd uh, love to, to meet anybody, uh, you know, any of your listeners or anybody comes into Austin. You know, if you want to head out to Dallas, uh, I get up there once in a while. I can show you some of the apartments we're talking about. Um, but let's do it. Uh, I'd be more than happy to answer any questions or send me an email and then and we'll, we'll go from there. Perfect, mate. Well, Dave, well, thanks a lot, Dave, for dropping in and chatting with us today. Have a great rest of your week and we'll catch up soon. 
Reed, thanks so much for your time. Enjoy it. Thanks, Appreciate mate. It. Well, guys, I hope you have enjoyed this uh, this episode and it inspires you to take some massive action. Get up off the couch and start investing in US real estate. Now, make sure you check out all the show notes for a summary of today's conversation with David and any links we mentioned on today's show will be on my website at rsnpropertygroup.com. Now, remember, if you are in the LA area and you want to have lunch, you want to go for a beer, you want to go for dinner, then hit me up. I love meeting with other investors and talking shop. Just shoot me an email at read at rsnpropertygroup.com. Thanks again for taking Taking some time at a day to tune in and continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge is because that's what we're here all about on this show, continuing to grow your financial IQ. You can follow me on Facebook, on Twitter by searching Reed Goosens, and you can tweet at me because I always tweet back. If you do like this show and you want to give back, jump on iTunes and leave the show a five-star review. It's quick, it's easy, and it shows iTunes that we're absolutely killing it here on this show. We're going to do this all again next week, so take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing. Happy investing.